Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit for plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. What's going on, guys? Rich Butler here. Thanks for hitting the download button to enjoy a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. Uh, before we get into the guest for this week, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, as I mentioned in the last two episodes, I believe, I sometimes short-term memory loss as you get older uh, takes its toll. Uh, we're going to be releasing every second Tuesday, so every two weeks, but on Tuesdays, of course. Uh, we'll be releasing new episodes of Toys and Tech of the Trade. We got a lot of great guests on deck in the coming weeks, so we look forward to sharing their stories with you. If you're in the New York City area and plan on attending Toy Fair, uh, we will be there. Uh, myself and Jimbo Slice will be there uh, Saturday the 16th, Sunday the 17th, and Monday the 18th. We'll be on the show floor taking some meetings, sharing some toys with our audience but if you're a fellow toy enthusiast and are working the event covering the event or in the industry and you want to meet face to face shake hands chat it up a little bit feel free to reach out via social media of course you can find us on instagram twitter facebook whatever medium of choice or good old email is still good so if you're going to be there definitely feel free to reach out and we'll always be glad to sit down and chat uh in between the occasional meeting because if you're at toy fair that's all it is usually meeting after meeting after meeting. Uh, speaking of Toy Fair, my guest for this episode, uh, Jonathan Cathay, is the founder and CEO of The Loyal Subjects. Uh, the Loyal Subjects is an action vinyl company. Now, of course, when you hear vinyls, the first thing that comes to mind are blind boxes and Funko. But The Loyal Subjects is a little different in that they are an action figure type of vinyl figure, meaning that or action vinyl as Jonathan, you know, so 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 eloquently phrased uh action vinyl allowing you to have full posability with arms, you know, with the arms and the legs and you get a bunch of awesome accessories. What got my attention from, you know, with the loyal subjects is that they had a lot of awesome licenses of brands that I remember growing up as a kid, Masters of the Universe, ThunderCats, uh WWE and WWF action vinyls. They're incredibly detailed uh super super cool just to have on a desk and like i said the the wealth of licenses besides the ones i just mentioned are very very cool and jonathan and i discuss their recent partnership with bandai we're going to get into that but more importantly we talk about the journey that he went through as an entrepreneur uh st starting the loyal subjects in 2009 with just 500 dollars and growing it into a you know a, a a very very successful company in such a short amount of time and even though you know it's 10 years 
it's it's still a short amount of time because there's still some people on the grind still trying to get to even the smallest part of that success. So I appreciate Jonathan taking the time to share his story, and I hope you guys not only draw some inspiration from it, but can definitely find some actionable information from it as well. Without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Jonathan so he can share the toys and tech of his trade. All right, my guest for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade is Jonathan Cathay. He is the founder of the Loyal Subjects Action Vinyl Company, uh, who just recently signed a massive deal with Bandai. Uh, We're going to get into, obviously, the toys and the tech of his trade, the origin of the company, and much more. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with us. Hey, man, thank you. I appreciate it. So... One of one of the things during during the research for for this interview and just from from meeting representatives of, at your company at Toy Fair is the fact that you know a lot of people know about the vinyl market they know about the blind box market but the loyal subjects does something completely different in the in the sense that you guys have created your own niche the action vinyl market um, you know for those not familiar what it, what does that entail and and what made you guys decide to go in that direction versus the conventional blind box model? Uh, Action Vinyls, it was essentially a, um, that is a proprietary format that I created for, for the little subjects. Essentially, that sort of combined the hyper detail aesthetics, really clean tampo prints, um, and stylization of like a, a sort of artwork designer vinyl, uh, a segment of the industry that. Um, we came from and then the action part was the articulation the features the uh, accessories collector cards essentially hybriding it to to an action figure and so how were the reasons why we wanted to do that is um you know just taking a big roto bulb and tampering at 20 which ways to saturday was no longer exciting i wanted to do something that was visceral something that was kinetic um, something that was more engaging with staying in customers' hands that you could play with. You know, there are a lot of companies that are just like, you know, they're really offering display and, and the little subjects were unique where they're offering play. I mean, we're one of the only companies doing a play pattern for a 30-year-old collector, you know, because people have sort of abandoned the idea that, you know, adults like to play, adults like to use their imagination. And we sort of we sort of buck that theory by saying no, they don't. You know, it's if you get if you get those imagination wheels spinning, it's you know the products are much more engaging. It's more fun, and it's good to connect to that side of yourself. You know, not completely abandon it. So we we thought we came up with a good format that had a low barrier of entry, didn't cost too much, um, and you could sort of recreate the toy box and the sandbox. Uh, you know, blanket fort vibes that you had when you're a kid but as an adult sort of those uh nostalgia those nostalgia wheels start flying back at you at, at mock speed and i think that's been our contribution i think that's what's made us pretty unique in the market you know where there's a lot of collectibles but some of them at high price points 60 to 300 bucks and yep. they're behind glass like museum pieces and all you can do is look at them or on the other side let's say with the um our other competitors where it's it's you know turn them out quick skin them a two thousand different stickers and you know they sort of just sit on a shelf and you stare at them you know there's there's they're not engaging so we wanted to build a, a, a figure form that was engaging that you can 
become your own writer, director, producer, and your own uh, sort of like fantasy throwback to when you're ten. You know, where we're just a, we're just a ditch in your backyard becomes an entire <laughs> world. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. You know, the the interesting thing about about the your start is that you know your 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 success story is the success the success story of many people where where you know you start with money out of pocket um in your case you guys started with a $500 personal check and um yeah. <laughs> you you went from there and the thing about it is that that so many people are in are in similar in similar boats in your case you know did you have any uh previous experience in this market did you or did you do everything kind of learn as you go, especially with like early designs, et cetera? How did how did you do that with the first designs and and getting that done from prototypes, for instance? Well, I was, you know, I'm a creative naturally. I'm business came second. I was creative. Come, creative comes naturally. So, you know, if you give me an instrument, I could play you a tune, kind of thing. If you give me pencils and paintbrushes, I can paint you a picture, or you know, or illustrate a, you know illustrate something dynamic so that's always been my sort of uh wheelhouse as far as my 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 abilities and then i really had to work hard at the business side which is 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 extremely extremely complex especially in the toy industry um but it was yeah it's it's just a mixture of you know a thousand times falling on your face and just picking yourself back up (laughs) each time each time it goes fat and your nose starts bleeding you know you remind yourself not to do that again but um i did have i had some experience in art and design um i had created i was actually a creator before you know doing licensed products i created um a, a silly sort of property called the mullet heads a bunch of these characters had mullets and funny stories and Ended up selling it to MTV at one point, and then uh, that's kind of how I dipped my toe into the toy industry. I see. Uh, yeah, I think with those, I, we, we were maybe the first one of the first ten, fifteen uh, products ever sold on Kid Robot back at the real genesis of Kid Robot. So I'd been in around that scene for a while, a contributor to it, and then I'd kind of taken my knowledge of you know design, fabrication, manufacturing. And then applied it to to licensed product, and then um, head down. I don't think I looked up for a good eight years, <laughs> you know, in the office, twelve to fourteen hours, six to seven days a week, and you know. Now this was a regular day job that you had in addition to this to fund your dream, regular nine to five. Now, actually, when it, when I was doing the mullet heads, I remember the last you know uh, the last time that I had to take the actual an actual job. I was production assisting believe it or not as a production assisting on a promo which was james franco's big break when he played james dean oh man yeah yeah that that was really kind of the last like job job i ever had wow so that was Hell a of job to have <laughs> now remember there yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of buzz about franco and he was there and he was just a young kid you know and that was that was his first big role that he booked was like a tbs movie the biopic about you. Um, but I had, I had done some consulting work for other people. I was, I was a creative director for, for, for a while too. Well, I guess when I say last job job, I mean like, you know, bartender slash, right. you know, really, really humping it kind of thing. Uh, but I was a creative director for a company for a little bit. 
And then um, I had a little bit of savings, did this. I had to yeah, do a few consulting jobs while the first, um, while the first project came through. And they're just so fortunate the first project actually sold out, funded the company, uh, was able to take a little draw, you know, pay the rent, pay the electric, that yep. kind of thing. And then pay yourself last. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then just grew it from there. And um, we had about four or five consecutive projects sold out. It just, it started happening. That That's the way, that's the way that. You know that uh, small ideas turn into juggernauts. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, you you were you were doing um, a lot of a lot of the roto molding, uh, roto molding. Excuse me. You went. You guys dealt with going. Did you go to China to see that firsthand? Yeah, you know, I've been I've been to China over seventy times. I probably spent about three months out of the year there. Wow. So, yeah. At this point, you know, I'm I'm very well versed on all aspects of manufacturing. When we started, yeah, when we started maybe doing some of the rotobulb stuff, it's, you know, they're rotopots. It's it's not that complicated. You know, there's the construction's very easy, just mushroom plugs, top bottoms. Um, and then tampo is just tampo alignment. So it's it's not terribly complex. You still need to know what you're doing. You, you need to know uh, who you're working with and who your suppliers are. You need to know how many, you know, how to build the pots and your tool plants and your connecting points. I mean, you still have to have a, a full fabrication knowledge to do it well. Um, but yeah, we started, we started doing it with a lot of roto. I mean, the first thing we ever done, we ever did was, was just a straight out injection, um, an injection piece. It's really just, you know, large injection molds, uh, large injection machine, big steel housing plates with the tools inside, just shooting it with, you know, plastic pressure that could puncture a hole in the wall of your house (laughs) but i did move from that to roto not not because of any convenience it's more convenient or it's it's more quick as far as production process do injection but roto had kind of a look and feel it was smooth roto's not porous um the tampa is really clean because the the uh, surface is really smooth and it kind of lent itself to that um designer look that was more print driven than sculpt driven. Okay. Now you were providing the designs you were doing. In other words, you were sketching them out and then going to the plant and saying, okay, this is how it's going to be. This is how I want the connection points to be. This is where I want the action, the action mechanics to be for a particular figure, uh, accessories, etc. Did you sketch that out yourself or did you partner with an artist to do the sketching? I know you're a creative, but you know, I know there's only so much that one person can do. Yeah, believe it or not, yeah, in the beginning, you kind of do everything, you know, the packaging, the photos, all of it. It's, you know, it's kind of absurd. But, yeah, if if it was on the Roto stuff, we'd work with we'd work with artists, like local guys that were, you know, had a little following. You know, they're kind of pop surrealist artists, and they're, they're people that we know. Uh, but, yeah, as far as the construction goes, we, we knew how to we knew how to make these, you know, these these I call them totems or more totems than anything. Um, and I'd be in, I'd be in Asia frequently, you know, four to six times a year, essentially, uh, working on these projects, but yeah, um, some of them I've done the turnarounds for and collaborated on the projects. There's, there's a, a few of the, uh, designer vinyl ones that I've, that we've put out where, where I actually did the terms on them. Um, so it could be anything like for the action vinyls, you know, those, those, are, those origins and concepts are done 
were originally done by me and then you know the tooling plans obviously in collaboration with the engineers over in china yeah we work with a number of of uh, sort of control artists or 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 sculptors and and designers and graphic artists now you know that help bring this whole thing uh into into in a a working product or into a design product, a concept product that we then go out and build the tools for. And that's a whole separate process in itself. <laughs> Design's only one part of it. There's the construction is the construction is the tricky part. How did you overcome things like, uh, you know, time difference, language barrier? Clearly you weren't sleeping because obviously the time difference, especially if you have to review proofs, et cetera, how did you overcome that? Did you have a point person over there that kind of helped with that? Did you did you have to you know learn Chinese next? You know, like how did that work? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was telling I was telling my girlfriend she she was with me. I just got back uh, about a week ago. I was out there for Hong Kong tour, and I told her it's like you know you kind of seeing everybody come from the states dropping like flies while we're out there. You know, everybody's looking like you know twenty minutes to hell. <laughs> baggy eyes dragging Jeez. you know you know hardly hanging in there and i you know used to say it's like yeah when i come over here i always thought it was like some sort of attention problem i had because you know i'll get here and i'm tired <laughs> you know i was young i was in my 20s so and then i had to hit the ground running there was no time for rest it's like you get there you sleep you wake up early you're on the train to mainland china and then you're working in factories all day and you know i'd hit these walls sometimes and I would just push through them all the time. You just end up working like five, six days straight, 14 hour days. Wow. And it didn't dawn on me until later that, you know, wow, that was pretty hard. That was actually, it was supposed to be hard. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Juice has to be worth the squeeze, man. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was, you know, it was really, you know, me having, you know, as I was kind of like fading out of consciousness at times, thinking you know there was a problem with me but no you know i was just really pedal to the metal going through this um you know the time change and the whole thing um but yeah there's the operatives we work with you know there's some that know some some english and it's and a lot that don't you know it's you know i i knew i'd spent a lot of time there when i started saying phrases in cantonese Wow. You, know, I, you know, I'd just be sitting there and I'd order something in Cantonese and I'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. And this was just and this was just because you were absorbing it. Right. It wasn't even because you were consciously sitting there, like trying to, to teach yourself. Right. No, no. Yeah. Just being out with people. Yeah. Just, you know, being having been there so many times at, at one point, you you sort of pick up Cantonese and phrases, very hard language. It's got six tones. So it doesn't mean I say everything right. You know, I could say, you know, you know, Don, which is, you know, egg, but, you know, the, the person who I'm saying it to is looking at me like they have no idea what I'm saying. I'm saying Don, and they're like, no, Don, you know, it's, right. it's like that tone inflection means a lot, you know, it sounds the same to me, but to them, I might as well be saying, you know, bloopity, bloopity, boop. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so it is, it is a... It's very, it's a very artful tone language, and it's hard to pick up. But I've been there so much, I spent so many times with with nationals. So, how's yeah, the pick up a little manuals along the way? How's the you were talking about that you did Hong Kong Toy Fair? How's that experience versus a toy fair here in the states? 
Um, it's very different. You know, it's a Hong Kong toy fair for a lot of the companies. They're in showrooms. They're like hotels or office buildings on the Kowloon side. Um, small spaces in these sort of these sort of office malls. It's it's bizarre. It's like CES bit. more so than regular toy fair then. I think CES is probably really grandiose because wow. you know, those, hotel, those hotels are in the yeah. Adelaide Bay and things <laughs> like that. I mean, you're talking about the Shangri-La and Kowloon and, and these sort of like old school Chinese places. But um, in the convention center over in Wan Chai, I think, uh, is it Wan Chai or Central, whatever the convention center is at, um, that in, I really don't go there. I've only been to the convention center one time over there. I'm usually in the showrooms or the office buildings. But the convention center is unique as it's really Chinese inventors. It's like all the factories invent the new thing. This is how things like, you know, like Hatchimals and Fingerlings and all that stuff comes in, comes into play. It's really, you know, I, I don't know particular. No, 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 of products. course. Those products could have been made in house, but there's things like that in, you know, the Dongguan province factories come out and they kind of showcase their new inventions and they find partners to skin them or, or, you know, do a twist or a take on them. You know, it's a lot of things that are flying around and beeping and booping and, you know, doing backflips. It's a, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. How were you accounting for, and I, and I only ask because of because it's such a, a heavy thing in, in certain areas of China, the, the, you know, the counterfeit market, were you concerned at all when you started, when you, when you started your company in its infancy with regards to, Oh, you know, somebody's going to come out with their own and it's not, nah, be- I, I was concerned about selling something here. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, like, that, that yeah, goes without saying when, when people buy it, I was, that's the only thing I was concerned about, you know, counterfeiting or bootlegging was the last thing. I mean. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, since I mean, since the popularity of action vinyls is is our our audience, as we call the TLS Army, as that sort of it has grown and the ten is growing every day. Um, yeah, there's there's there legitimate counterfeits out there. You know, that's crazy. Um, Have you come across illegit- them and and, and they're illegitimate? <laughs> Have you looked at them and said, uh, "You look at the counterfeit and go, wow, that's pretty damn good, considering." Have you no, run into no, that? No, no, I mean, I've, I've, I've actually picked up a few, you know, night market in Mongkok and things like that. They, they fall apart. They're, you know, they're not well made. Yep, you know the deal. Yeah, yeah, they're cheap, but it is, you know, I think it's just it's it's one of the one of the issues that uh, for us it's probably small, like something like Transformers or you know some big properties. It's it's like a real. It's a real deal, you know. It's oh it's, yeah, the Transformers market is crazy. I mean, as, some, as somebody who collects Transformers on and off since since my childhood, you know, like, like sometimes you'll see one and it'll be like you know Iron Wing X, and it's supposed to be like Starscream, and you're like, wow, that looks really good, but you know that it's the, yeah, but That's you know it's thing. not the real deal, you know. That so many so many companies have come so far with that that sometimes it just blows my mind that they're just not doing their own thing. Because yeah, they've awesome. they've sharpened their teeth, so to speak, doing you know replicas or off brand. Yeah, yeah. There's that whole third party transformer market that is it's a real legitimate collector culture. Yep. You know, and they they buy them at you know as with much passion as the original stuff or the Tommy masterpieces stuff. But but yeah, it's 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 a real deal for a company like the World Subjects as we grow. I mean, we sold millions of toys, so or collectibles to this point, 
you know, it's it will be an issue, I'm sure. And you try to try to do your best to do whack a mole. You know, you, you certainly don't encourage it. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. But but you try to you try to quell it where you can. You know. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it's also it's also you know the manufacturing relationships are eight thousand miles away. So it is that there's an added complexity to that as well. You know. So before before we get into into the, the you know the the growth of your company, I I, I want to ask you know when you when you sold that first wave and you know that first that that first check cleared so to speak, how did that feel? I mean, you know where what were you what were you where were you at emotionally at that point? Were you nervous going in? Were you like, oh man, I don't know how this is gonna do? How did you track uh you know what you were selling and then you know how did you how did you calculate or determine like, oh my God, we sold everything and we made a profit? You know, it's, it's weird. I, I, I have a problem of not stopping to smell the roses and, and I'm going to have to figure that out. Eventually. Damn. I'm there, I man. Just, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. I just, I just, I think, you know, you, you, you get to a place you set a new goal and you just drive, you just yep. keep going, keep going, keep going. So I, it's a problem. <laughs> I should probably stop and smell the roses once, once in a while. But, um, I don't think, I don't think I ever thought about it. You know, I, I thought I always had the goal in mind of, Hey, you know, I, I believe in this product. I, you know, there, there's a reason for it to exist. I believe what we're doing and I believe in my brand and I believe in this brand experience and then driving and driving that. So in that, you know, I think maybe in the initial, you know, the first, let's say year, year or two of the little subjects, there's probably maybe doubt like, you know, Hey, is this, you know, how long is this going to last or whatever, you know, it's with, with year one, year two, it's not like I came into it with a business plan and, you know, a uh, half a million dollars in investment capital. It was just, you know, personal check, a living room, a garage, things like that. So when, you know, I, I'm not even sure that I had a plan, <laughs> you know, I, I knew that were, you know, the stuff we're making, I liked. And then, um, I had a motivation to sell it, you know, but that was, and then within, I think that first two years really started kind of figuring out, okay, what do I want to do? I mean, even that two years, I, you know, I was considering, you know, making the, the little subjects kind of like a tastemaker marketing arm as well. So there, there was just kind of playing with the idea until really kind of seeing the light of, you know what? In even kind of walking away from a lot of the designer vinyl things and going, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to make this into a legitimate toy box experience. You know, like I, I want to create a company that my tenured self would do backflips for. Wow. And then at that point in time, we really turned the corner um, and and really sort of focused. But um, I don't think I've, I've really ever looked back or looked into, you know, I'm usually I, I dive in. You're like the shark first, (laughs) (laughs) like the shark always moving forward. Cause if you stop, you die. There you go, man. And also like, uh, as far as, you know, I've, I've never really sort of weighed or or litigated the risk aspect. It's just, you just, I mean, I did that with music. I've, I've I've kind of done that with everything. It's like, okay, I want to do that. Fine. Cool. You know, I mean, if I, if I had a logical part of my brain, everybody would say, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> but it's, I, I lack that logic, I guess. And so, you know, I think that's what makes me a, uh, makes me an entrepreneur. Cause I, I think entrepreneurs don't have that component in their brains. No. They're just, 
you know, they're diving first, ask questions later. Did you did you experience at any point, you know, when when you were, for instance, just mentioning this to people? Did you did you experience any not pushback, but just people like oh, I don't know if you want to go in that direction, or or was or 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 did you have a more supportive network? And I say this because again, you know, the toy industry. You know, everybody thinks that, you know, they watch a couple of episodes of the toys that made us on Netflix and they automatically know (laughs) they know how the game is played. But well, the the game, the big game, you know, especially when you go to mass, I mean, you're you're dealing with companies that are publicly, you know, held companies and companies that have, you know, private equity money and two hundred fifty million dollars and greater. And it's a very competitive cutthroat world. The licensing is cutthroat because, you know. You know, the big titles are controlled by, you know, the top three companies. And, you know, they don't want any, they don't want competition. They're taking away from their core products. So it is once, once you get to like the big boy game, it's, it's nuts. You know, there's, there's a lot of boxing gloves in, in that game. Um, but as far as like, let's say friends and family or, uh, no, believe it or not, the majority of my friends are musicians. Oh so man. Like, so you totally out of there out of the out of left field then they're like uh okay you want to do that yeah they they had no they they had no idea what the hell i was up to you know yeah they're you know to them it was to them when they start seeing it they're like oh dude that's cool you know like that's pretty (laughs) cool (laughs) but but you know they're interested in guitars and drums and playing shows and touring and making records and things like that and you know my then i have other friends are you know, fine artists and painters and things like that. It's, I think they thought it was, it was cool. It was neat. Um, it was different, you know, and eventually when you could start seeing this thing grow and there is an actual public appetite and there is, you know, these pods of cultures developing around the brand that kind of gave the brand a lift. I think at that point, you know, at that point, those people, could actually look into it and, and say, oh, okay, cool. I now I see what you were doing. Okay. Now yeah. now you you know when it came to securing um I was a toy know, outsider essentially. That, I, well, I, I, that's a good I way to look at it. I wasn't buddy buddy with anybody in the industry tell you that. Yeah, so so basically you came in there and you you kind of just carved your own way because <sighs> it was it was like like you were saying before it was just in your nature. There was no Hey, you know, I knew this guy from, you know, Mattel and he said, yeah, you know, do this. No, you had none of that. It was just you by the I seat had, of your pants. I had zero. <laughs> I, don't, I, ne- I never consulted with one person in the industry ever. That's insane, man. I applaud yeah, that. I, Much respect. I never met it. Yeah, I never met anybody from the industry. I, I mean, I think I think I had a roommate. His mom worked at Mattel and did like the uh, strawberry shortcake. Okay. But it. it that conversation never went as far as, oh, my mom worked at Mattel and did strawberry shortcake. That's about it. It came yeah, and went. So it's like, yeah. I mean, if you live in L.A., it, you know, Mattel has has employed a lot of people. So it's, you know, I mean, tens of thousands of people. So if you live in L.A., there, there's a good shot that someone either works in the movie industry or has worked for Mattel, believe it or not, or Disney. You know, That's pretty I mean? wild. Um, so that, yeah, that net goes pretty, pretty wide. But you know, just looking back, no, we, we really didn't know anybody. I mean, I knew like Spike from Spike and Mike, Sick and Twisted, Spike Decker. I knew him, you know, that's about as far as it went. I knew this kind of funky animation enthusiast guy down in San Diego. And 
I knew I knew a girl from Otis who was a sculptor and who knew a manufacturer, and that that was it, you know. But it's you know if I I looked at my LinkedIn every time I you know I'm I'm LinkedIn with a lot of you know guys that are you know presidents or CEOs of of toy companies, large ones, and they all seem to have sort of like natively come from that industry. I I I would view myself more of an outsider, of, you know, and I think we create in a bubble like that. We're just really not influenced by other companies. We, we kind of do our own thing. Well, that's good too, because you don't want to get, you know, the, the, um, the accidental inspiration. I like to call it where, you know, like you're around a buddy of yours and he uses like a phrase. And then, you know, a month later you're using the same phrase and you're like, how the hell did I start doing that? <laughs> totally. I mean, I do have that. I'm from Laguna beach originally. So, you know, I, I definitely have sort of the surf skate, language for sure right it's like embedded in me since age 10 i can't shake it to save my life but um but as far as like the um industry and toy industry just it, i i knew no one i really didn't you know i still don't know if i really do i mean i i know these guys that are owners of other companies and and ceos and things like that but, right you know but that's I'm, just because you're in the same space not because you consciously which is you know it's like, it's like association like like oh yeah yeah i know that guy i've seen him at a trade show or two or hey yeah I, i've seen him around the show floor like that's about it it's kind of it's kind of like that yeah you know it's like uh you know it's if i'm i'm hanging out on my own and i'm usually you know playing music or you know finding the inspiration to draw and paint or write or reading books and things like that so it's you know it's it is i do kind of come at at it with a bit of a different swing i guess nothing wrong with that sometimes sometimes the different approach might might be what sets you apart from everybody else and is a key to your success and so far i think that's that's been a big part of it yeah it you know it's funny it's it's um there's some like these you know a couple of these uh streetwear culture guys had come to the office not too long ago and you know talking about halo projects and making things cool and i told him it's like you know, dude, I'm I'm not concerned with being cool. Like you either are or you're not. I don't know if I am or if I'm not. You know, I could be totally uncool. <laughs> so, and the point being is, you, you just got to do you. That's it. Whoever you are, that's that's what you got to do. At the end of the day, I think that's the best narrative in there, which yeah. leads me into into my next question. You know, you you guys um, went to secure financing from you know from an equity firm. And you, you were already kind of had the, the, the company rolling along. How did you approach that? How, how do you, how do you present something like that to, to a company like this? Did you, you know, what, what went into it? How did you prep, you know? Well, yeah, bringing a private equity into your company, it's difficult because a, it's, you have to be at a place where, you know, an investment is, um, is a, let's say, a you have to be able to offer something for investors to come in. You know, it, it can't just be an idea. There's got to be proof of concept. There has to be money. There's, you know, that's already tracking through the business. The business already has to be in pretty good shape. Obviously, growth per, uh, trajectory. Um, and the investors can see that, hey, this is, if, if we invest in this, we could really motivate it and push it to the next level. And, you know, our investments will pay off. So you have to have all those bases kind of covered. So, you know. We've done exceptionally, you know, I maybe exceptionally, maybe who knows, but I, I think pretty good, you know, just on our own accord with that $500 check. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and we, 
and we got we got pretty far. We got pretty far. Um, you know, revenue was good. Sales were good. Com- customers, there were more stores interested in the little subjects. We had op- we had opened up Target independently without you know any investment help. Walmart How'd that go? How'd that approach go? Because Target, you know, it's interesting. I- I've watched the evolution of Target become. You know, from just a company with a toil aisle to a company having exclusives to a company having, you know, dedicated collector areas. I went in there recently and they were selling like NECA stuff. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, am I in the right place? Like, it was was so weird. Yeah, no, and, and that's more of that's more Darwinism than anything. So it's it's like, you know, CDs and DVDs and electronics as a sales or, or they're just becoming obsolete, period, or the sales are declining in some of those segments. You know, like Circuit City's not around anymore. So as soon as they start clearing that out, there's space for something. And, it's you know, pop culture is really, that is a zeitgeist. It is it is at an all-time frenetic high with a lot of goodwill and enthusiasm and motivation. So the next extension to pop culture is in terms of content, you know, being movies or video games, is... is um, our product is merchandise so they're clearing out essentially dead weight and bringing in things that you know people want and it's it's a good time i mean whether there's four or five marvel movies releasing every single year yep <laughs> 10, 10, 10 superhero movies a year you know and then you know these sort of shows these sort of pop culture events like you know game of thrones or stranger things you know that really motivate also motivate collectors. So I think Target and Walmart definitely making the right moves for that. Um, but it's really born out of, you know, obsolete, you know, the deceased obsolete. You know, it, I'm, I'm trusting you're probably not running out buying CDs anymore. <laughs> no, you know, it, it, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, I, I remember when Toys R Us was going under and everybody was like, ah, Toys R Us and blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, you know, the, the, the first thing everybody jumps on is the easy target, which is blame, blame Amazon, you know? And I tell people, I'm like, listen, I've lived through Lionel Kitty City, KB Toys, you know, yeah. they, they rise and they fall. And part of the reason is because their business practices were just, they, they didn't move ahead with the times or, or they didn't adjust. And I think that Toys R Us was in a, in a, in a weird place where they were kind of set up to fail after they took out that big loan to, to restructure and, they were kind of on the hook repaying the loan and trying to stay relevant. And what ended up happening was it wasn't just the, 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 the Amazons of the world. You know, they had to go and fight Target and fight Walmart and fight the mom and pops and fight Barnes and Noble. And at the end of the day, people are more educated now. People aren't going around just, eh, hey, we'll go and do all our Christmas shopping and Toys R Us and be done, you know? Like some people don't even want to leave their house. And that culture changes. Well, yeah, I, I would say, you know, Amazon's is, is a big obstacle there um, because of that, just because of the convenience of shopping and clicking yep. a couple buttons and having something arrive at your house in a couple of days if you have the patience for it. But the Toys R Us, you know, is similar to Bain Capital and, and, the, and the KB thing is, yeah, there, it was distressed. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of kooky things that went in and out of. Absolutely. You know, the guy's taking a debt position and this, that, and the other. But the liquidable assets were, there was was gains on liquidable assets for Toys R Us, undoubtedly. Um, I think Toys R Us's biggest downfall is more the shopping experience. You walked in there, you know, the people that worked there didn't know the products. Nope. They're sort of disinterested. They didn't want to be there to begin with. So it had to do a lot with training. The stores were just stuck in 1981. 100%. It just... 
as shopping experiences as the experience, you know, like it, walking into an Apple store, going into Nordstrom's and, you know, there's a coffee bar and there's this and that as shopping experiences have become more sort of competitive and advancing, yep. you know, a shopping experience with Toys R Us locations are always kind of in these crappy strip malls and things like yep. that. It just wasn't a um, inviting experience or just nope. people didn't want to go there. Essentially, you know, you know how the many... lighting was bad. The merchandising was bad. The floors <laughs> look like they're from 1981. You know, all the high school kids that worked there, that that was the last place on earth they wanted to be. Yeah, well, that was that was exactly it. I knew, uh, you know, a couple of kids when I was in high school, they worked in Toys R Us and they'd be like, and, you know, you think it would be cool working in a toy store, man, you know, every day and playing with cool stuff and seeing cool stuff. And they were like, it kind of sucks. <laughs> like, like that was the exact answer that they came with. They were like, eh, it kind of sucks, man. And I'm like, why? And they were just like, eh, you know, the way they do things. And, you know, they don't really put the stuff out. and They don't display the stuff for kids to really want to buy the stuff. And parents are miserable because they got to come in there and wander these aisles to try and find one thing. I mean, when I was in the, in the, in the heyday of collecting, I remember, you know, I'd find one or two kids I was good with in toys r us i'd be like listen man i'm looking for these chase figures you know shoot me a text or or page me you know and let me know yes. if you guys get them there's a couple bucks in there for you and they'd be like all right man you know i'm gonna look <laughs> through these boxes and really this one's worth a lot of money and i'm like yeah you know this one's this and whatever and 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 you kind of built a rapport and it made them excited like you'd walk in hey dude what's going on hey, man how's everything hey, i got some stuff in the back i'll be right back bring a box out It'd be a bunch of, you know, Marvel Legends or whatever it was. And that's that stuff isn't it isn't there, you know, and even now, like what you were saying, the retail experience is so much different. Like now you go into a, a specialty store or a comic book store and if you're there enough times, they know you. Hey, man, how's it going? You know, I yeah, saw you here last week. I pulled this. You know, I know you like this. Yeah. Retail sh retail shopping is really, you know, curated these days. hundred percent. It is about the, you know, being personal and it's about being and really customizing experience. Like I said, if you go into a large retailer, like let's say Nordstrom's, I mean, they're doing everything shy of, you know, you know, dusting you off, combing your hair, putting yep. a little, putting a little cologne on you and greeting you and sticking a, uh, espresso in your mouth as you walk in the door. Yep. Yeah. You know? So if that's, if that's a high bar, you know, it's just being a, a, a warehouse with classroom like lighting and stuff all over the aisles and you know everything kind of you know mix matched and oh, it was, you know it was crazy especially yeah, like so the real it, dingy ones that well that that's really what did them i i feel like if they had uh you know when they had the chance to they actually invest in into the remodel and sort of the training they should have taken that opportunity 100 percent and it could because they, if, in actual standalone toy store, there is plenty of room in the market for that. As as you can see, this last holiday, you know, toy sales are pretty decent. I mean, action figures and some of that stuff is down, but you know, there's still disruptors. LOL surprise, you know, Funko's a disruptor. There's things that are doing really well, um, and things are even going down to TJ Maxx and Marshalls and yep. Ross. There's other people getting to the game. Which does mean there's there's still a uh, a really valid reason for a standalone to exist. It just they have to speak to all the potential customers in a very curated, customized way for for it to stick. I mean, that, and you know, it's not a price thing either. I always tell people all the time: listen, 
Apple sells some of the most expensive hardware in the game, but you have no problem plunking down a thousand dollars for an iPhone because you know that if it breaks, you walk in there and they don't even waste time like trying to die. Like they'll diagnose it, and if it's, they'll just be like, "Here's a new," you know, because like they don't care, you know, like they like they're like Apple's at a stage where it's like the the customer experience is 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 crucial. And if we can make them feel good, it keeps them around. Even if we sell, you know, high, even if we sell high, our customer support is high enough to match that. Yeah. It's like, it's like sitting first class on a plane. Yep. You know, you, you rock in the plane they give you, you know, orange juice, you know, give you pajamas, slippers, the whole nine, make you feel like you're worth a million bucks, even if you're worth two bucks. You know, that's what you have to do to people at retail. You have to, you have to make everybody feel like they're, everybody's got to be Brad Pitt, <laughs> you know, oh, once you right. walk in the door, everybody's got to be treated at, with that sort of like, um, with that curated sort of white glove experience for it to stick. Because you're, as you're saying, you know, the other motivation is just to, you know, watch Netflix and plug it away in your computer and it'll be at your house in two days. That's it. Now, you know, one of the, one of the big things, and we mentioned it at the, at the start of the interview was, you know, you, the, the growth of your company now, you know, this, this incredible partnership with Bandai, um, you know, I want to touch on that a little bit, you know, how long was that in the works and, you know, what made you, did Bandai come to you? Did you go to them? Like what makes them the ideal partner for you guys? Um, yeah, it's, it's really funny when we were opening factories in, in Asia, part of our, part of our prerequisite is do you make Bandai products because the, the quality, you know, high to the quality of tools, uh, the tolerance levels on the tools, you know, the, the the labor operation quality, the assembly quality. It's just it's it's a it's AAA. So part of our requirement was for factories to also be in the Bandai game for us to to join <laughs> because we knew we would get a great product that way. Um, knowing that Bandai's they're sticklers on the products too, so. The, Factories understand complex deco, complex construction, you know, uh, these sort of like multi-skewed uh, character assortments and Easter eggs, low production units, all, all these kind of the pain in the butt things that the low subjects really is for suppliers. You know, if they're doing Bandai, they're, they're accustomed to some of that. Um, but so we'd always admired as, you know, a AAA sort of product quality. And, you know, a really great figure form and action figures were top notch. And the Tamashi, um, the Tamashi offerings were some of the high art in the action figure market, if not the high art, you know, SH figure arts, Tamashi. So we, we'd always been admirers of Bandai. Um, and then opportunity had it, you know, with, with vacancy of Power Rangers to, to really let other brands sort of collaborate with Bandai and have Bandai, which is just a giant engine. You know, they have a huge infrastructure, uh, a big presence in Asia, a big marketing presence, a big sales presence. To find a company like Little Subjects that would need that sort of driver in engine from, you know, formidable infrastructure, where, who already had good creative in, you know, it had great products, you know, fan base, a growing fan base, and then um, retail space, and then also great sl slate of licenses. So it just kind of worked out. It was just a, uh, 
things the stars aligned as they say natural progression at that point yeah. you respected their work you knew you knew that they were going to be a quality partner and it just fell into place huh yeah it's, it's sometimes you know the stars align it just you just get lucky you know and things aligned where it seemed like a timing for like a band i and the little subjects partnership and, and our strategic partnership of, of what we're doing was timing couldn't have been better it couldn't have been better for us couldn't have been better for them to really drive a brand like the world subjects and and create some critical growth so you know i i have you know just that the magic that floats <laughs> through the stars sometimes and you know <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm excited to i'm excited to see what you guys cook up you know i'm looking forward to seeing what you guys have on display next month at toy fair uh, oh it's gonna be cool i think i think that you know the what you've done and how you've crafted this this offshoot you know this unique uh collectible but also play worthy item is is something that you know and especially building it on your own starting from the ground up is just you know it's a testament to hard work and just entrepreneurship there's there's no better story than this man i think you know i i, I like the the and you know as an 80s baby i love all the licenses you guys got you know thundercats and old wwf and wwe stuff like i remember when i first uh, learned about your brand it was at last year's toy fair and i walked over and i'm like holy cow is that macho man you know and it's like a little <laughs> macho man and i'm like ah oh, this is awesome and you know he was like holding and like a little roman reigns holding a chair and i'm totally. like oh this is like this is awesome and then as as the the rep at the booth was like oh you know check out some of our stuff and i saw i'm like wow you guys make like you guys had the uh the exorcist uh ones out and i'm like this is pretty insane and like freddy krueger in the nurse outfit you know, like there was, there was so, so many, so many unique figures. And I said to myself, wow, you know, the, the, this is a group of guys that actually, they, they know their stuff and they grab like, like elements from the films and TV shows, like little obscure things. Like, like who would have thought, you know, like we're going to make Freddy Krueger in the doctor scrubs, you know, <laughs> or yeah. we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Like I, like it was just so cool seeing that, that originality and innovation when I got acquainted with your company last year, man. So, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys are taking it to the next level. Right on, man. I mean, and that really is, that's really what the Well Subjects Trust did focus on is that, remember, we're custodians of the IP we license. So we want to tell a, a genuine story, you know, and there are a lot of Easter eggs in stories. You know, there's critical movie moments or a critical moment animation or a critical toy moment or a critical comic book moment that might seem very nuanced and niche, but it had a lot of impact for people. So we want to tell that story succinctly and we kind of want to do a deeper dive than just, you know, staying on the surface and just trying, you know, we're, we're not in it to sell plastic by the pound and sticker slap. We really trying to, you know, what the action vinyl format should be is a storytelling vehicle and allowing you know, collectors to recreate those stories, those, you know, those magic moments in TV, comics, anime, uh, movies, video game, whatever those moments are, we really want, we really want to deliver those sort of, you know, reward the audience for paying attention moments. The other thing is, um, is there, there is a truth to it sort of being like, you know, keys to the time machine. There is a nostalgia vehicle about the little subjects. It, it should, 100%. when you do see yeah, when you when you do see Motu and Thundercats, for sure that should. If you've ever seen Ratatouille, there's a scene where the big food critic, the rat, cooks up this sort of you know this sort of peasant food, delivers it to the food critic, and the first thing when the guy has the first sip of it, um, 
it takes him for, back for, for his bite of it. It takes him back to when he's yep. ten, in the comfort of, of his home and his mom, and all these warm memories come back. That that moment in that film is kind of hopefully what we provide a little bit of. Of like you see it and you're like, oh my god, I remember standing in KB Toys yep. when I was ten. You just have that immediate flashback. I mean, that happened for me only because like when I saw the WWE and WWF figures, I remembered you know they they did the uh, the LJN and they had the uh, the yeah. thumb wrestlers, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you'd put your thumb in in the back and you'd be and they were just all rubberized and stuff, and that's what it reminded yeah. me of like like the simplicity of that, you know, like oh man, this is kind of cool and. You know, for a little kid who kind of thinks, you know, like Jason is cool or Freddy is cool. Like there's like they can do that, you know, and have little interchange accessories. And and it's crazy just because like like interests have varied so much. And especially now, you know, I just had I just had my 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 first child, you know, and it's like one of the first things I had her watch. I just put it on and she was mesmerized was like the original (laughs) 84 Transformers movie, you know, because it was so vibrant and so colorful. And she was just glued watching it. And it's like, you know, I get to share this with you. And for me, like I said, you know, I still buy a lot of this stuff, mostly because I couldn't buy it when I was a kid or because, you know, like life was a little different back then. So seeing things like that, it puts it in front of a new generation. And I think the best part is the barrier of entry is so small. I mean, my my wife's goddaughter, she carries a little backpack and all that's in her backpack are little figures. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. The the price of admission is to participate is small. Yeah, and it's and even though it doesn't matter, it's if someone's got eleven, twelve bucks, it's still eleven or twelve bucks. Yep. I mean, you know, you buy you buy you know a meal with that. It's it's still value. It's a, a real high value regardless. But what you try to do is for that price of admission, you you know you don't want it to be outrageous. You want it to be affordable. But you want it to be a high experienced driver. So having Agreed. you know, a poseable figure with, you know, a great sculpted face and gestural abilities and being able to sort of recreate these scenes and battles in, in the little subjects world or universe, it's everything makes sense. Like Freddie could battle the Red Ranger in our universe and it's like, of course. Yeah, why, it's, it's like why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that and that's kind of the that's the fun too. So yeah, you know, for you know, it's for twelve bucks. We, we want to make sure that you're you're getting a lot of fun out of it, essentially. And but you're right that that nostalgia vehicle, all those warm feels and memories, and you know, it's it's important to people. It's it's also it's like you know, there's everybody's everybody's slagging it out there. No, hundred percent. It's it's, it's rock 'em sock 'em robots out there. <laughs> totally, and to to be able to get a reprieve from it, and you know. It, let your imagination be a driver and the, you know, the pains of the day, whatever it be, you know, bills, bosses, you know, whatever it is, you know, to be able to kind of get into your, to your imagination seat and, and find that sort of like childlike wonderment. It's, you know, I think there's, there's a tremendous value in that. Out of all the licenses you guys have worked on so far, what's been your favorite to do? Yeah, it's it's hard because every new thing is like my new baby. You know, I, I spent because <laughs> so, you know I spent so much time with every product and every stage of the product. You know, I'm I'm very hands on on everything as far as the product, the product development, and the creation of the product. Um, so everything's like my new favorite thing. Like you know, I I loved How to Train Your Dragon because I I thought those figures were very beautiful. I thought the dragons were very beautiful. Yep. Um, 
the Game of Thrones stuff is 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 pretty awesome. Um, they, it's going to be impressive. We have a six foot Night King in our booth at Toy Oh Bear. man! I also have a five foot He Man riding battle cat in our booth too so i'll make be, sure to get plenty of photos of that <laughs> yeah it's it's, get, it's gonna be quite a presentation you know the hot wheel stuff is amazing you know from i i think it to be true i'd have to check with mattel but i think the only people that make hot wheels are mattel and well subjects so our version of hot wheels i think are, are are pretty magnificent obviously like for to be actually making hot wheels you know like if you told me 10 years ago i would I would make Transformers, GI Joe, Hot Wheels, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers. I'd say you're crazy. Yeah, nobody, nobody. You, you'd be like the the thing that I get to play in this sandbox at this stage of the game is is like I said, yeah. it's, it's a testament to hard work. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I used to have black hair. Oh, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. But so the hot the Hot Wheels stuff is. I'm I'm very very excited about that too. It's just it's just cool. You know, I, there's a. There's a natural marriage between Hot Wheels and our collectors, as is. I gotta try and grab. I want to get the uh, the Ren and Stimpy ones for myself. I grew oh, up those watching are, those. Are killer, man. Yeah, we, you know, we Ren and Stimpy. That that was insane. The uh, Rugrats came out just brilliant. Yep, they, those know. were really nice, man. The 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 Chucky you guys did. I was like, wow, that looks like straight out of you know ripped right out of the television. It was it was really cool. Totally, totally, yeah. Between the Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries, the the characters that we did on both those, um, both those TV series, they were really good. Like you know, and and the fact is, it you know, we we maybe take too much credit for this. It, it's it's really the IP. You know, it's the creators like Klasky, Chupa. It's we're we're able to sort of like lease this great, brilliant creative. Do you, you know what I mean? Some, sometimes, you know, I think the manufacturers have a tendency to take too much credit for right for what they do. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't make up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We have nope. an interpretation of it. But, you know, we really have to thank, you know, Kevin Eastman and, and Peter Laird. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and believe it or not, actually, Toy uh, Playmates, because Playmates did a lot of creative development and origination on it. Um, but there's we get to inherit some of this or lease this great creative, you know, and what we try to do is we try to be genuine and true to that creative. That's what we try to do. You know, obviously with our, our TLS fingerprint, but in the end, we're really trying to tell the story from an indigenous place. And so for the Rugrats, I think they came out, they came out really good because we stayed true to what Klaski Chupo created. Yep. No, I think those are those are some uh, some beautiful pieces. All your Nickelodeon stuff is is phenomenal. You know the horror movie stuff, like I said, is what got got me to stop by the booth. Um, so you know all of that nice. stuff was cool. I um I want to switch gears and and go into our you know the, our our next section of the interview, the hot seat. Just uh rapid fire questions. You know right off the top of your head, nothing crazy. So yeah, go for it. All right. So you know obviously you in this day and age we run a lot of our our companies through our mobile devices you know how do you how do you keep yourself plugged in what do you use um wow you know i'm, I'm really like not the most tech savvy person i'm still pretty analog you know <laughs> nice. I play drums and play guitar so um <laughs> believe it or not an iphone <laughs> okay which which one are you are you an I mean, older gen one or or a slightly newer one because <laughs> that's how it goes I, when people don't update I, often i think i have like the 10x nice you know? 
Yeah, not but too I, bad. But I'm not, but I'm most uh, formidable <laughs> tech giant. Although I did hardwire a company, you know, I, I basically set up all the computer systems in our company, you know, all of our file sharing, the whole thing. And if you asked me to do it again, I would begrudgingly figure <laughs> it out again. Nice. <laughs> do you, um, do you, do you come, do you do most of your company business through your, through your phone, through your mobile device, or do you actually like sit in front of a laptop? No, yeah, desktop? yeah, no, no, I have a, I have a desk. Have the All right. Desk. All yeah, right, that's cool. That's, but I'm on 24 seven. So, you know, I actually work like three shifts, you know, my morning shift is coming through phone calls and okay. action items. My, you know, afternoon to early evening shift is, you know, working with the employees and, and all the, uh, all the touch points that need attention. Later shift is trying to get through all of my emails. And then the last shift is really at the night because that's when China is, right. you know, when our, or when it's our Asian teams are actually up. Yeah. So, so I kind of have this sort of around the clock schedule. So I, I have a, uh, a consistent routine between a desktop, a laptop and a phone. How many employees do you guys have? Uh, worldwide now it's a pretty small team, 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you turn on your phone in the morning, where's the first place you go? Uh, probably WhatsApp to see if, uh, if there's, I do a lot of the communication on WhatsApp. Okay. Or not WhatsApp, sorry, WeChat with, uh, my Asia supply partners. Oh, okay. So, so I'll look to see if there's notifications there that probably need, if, if I wake, if I wake up early enough, you know, it's still time to catch them in Asia. Nice. Uh, so, and then. And then I, I look at Instagram, you know, I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally brain hacked like everybody else. And I try to track conversations that, you know, are, are happening. I, there's like 80 inbox messages on Instagram right now. Oh, I, don't know how we're, I don't know how we're going to plow through them all, but do you run, do you run the Instagram <laughs> account yourself or you, do you share that with your employees? Is that just straight you? Like if somebody messaged you on Instagram right now, like you said, out of that 80, are you responding or is someone responding? It could be me. It could be Kimberly. It could, you know, some other people that work for us. It could be any of us. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's it's not it's not always okay. Um, you know, as, as a musician, you know, what's playing in the background when you work? Um, believe it or not, I encourage people to play more music. You know, I mean, for me, you know, I I was kind of like a punk rock hardcore kid growing up, but like I'm I'm all about you know Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, Beatles now <laughs> you know even even getting you know to you know the chet baker art blakey um you know sort of ray charles willie nelson kind of vibes too you know i, I have a pretty diverse music listening nice sort of you know sort of palette so I, the- I listen i listen i listen to everything from mozart to bad brain nice that keeps you keeps, yeah. keeps you keeps you in the zone um, yeah, what's an item you've purchased for less than a hundred dollars that's made your life easier or more enjoyable? Mm, my drumsticks. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you know, obviously we talk about, we, we talk about the tech. We got to talk a little bit about toys. You know, what was your, your favorite toy or collectible from your childhood? Um, originally Han Solo, the, the Kenner. Nice. Three and three quarter Kenner toy and the Stormtrooper. Those are probably, I had Shogun Warrior when I was a kid, you know, the ones where the rockets pop out of the fist. Oh my God. Yeah. 
with the little rollers. I love that. I had a Battlestar Galactica Cylon plane. I love that. Um, I had my first my first GI Joe. This is a true story. So when I I went to I went to a school. My parents had to come pick us up. Um, and when they pick us up. We drive past Thrifty. Sometimes my dad would get us like you know one of those like ten cent ice cream cones. Right. Well, they used to have, they used to have a carousel near the ice cream cone near the checkout, really, uh, like a peg carousel that had uh, Star Wars toys. Because I was born in seventy four, so you know by eighty one, it was like a real actual Empire Strikes Back. Like was now, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was like. It was current at that time. Like, right. hey, these are Empire Strikes Back toys because they're the property's current. So they would have a carousel, and I'd try to get, you know, every now and then my dad would let me pick one out and get a character. One time, and this is at Thrifty, at some point in time, they switched the carousel out with G.I. Joe. Oh, and, man. And I was super, super bummed. I didn't know what G.I. Joe was. I was like, where's the Star Wars stuff? I was totally bummed. but. I was like, okay, and I picked uh, Major Blood off the uh, the peg, and then that got me started on GI Joe, and then I was really I was really excited about GI Joe. Nice. So um, Major Blood was my first GI Joe character I ever got. That's pretty awesome. The um, obviously besides uh, you know your 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 own collectibles, is there anything else you collect now outside of you know your the, any any TLS stuff you have in house? Well, I have so much. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you, you know, I, I collect art, and you know, I would say I collect music instruments, but okay, I just I just have music instruments. Like you know, I have a, a few guitars and you know, drums and things like that. Like a real collector would collect a lot of guitars, right? Right. You know, I have you know a few guitars. Where a real drum collector would collect a lot of drums you know they're as enthusiastic about snare drums as you know transformers or about every version of optimus prime well you know i got a couple snare drums <laughs> what's your favorite guitar out of your out of the the ones you own what do you play the most uh, my les paul black custom with the uh, gold hardware nice that's my favorite notes <laughs> <laughs> um the you know it, it, it's funny because when when i tell people about toys and tech you know they're like oh but you know what if i'm not into toys i'm like toys is in quotes you know exactly that like you just said you know you collect musical you know well you you have you know drum sets guitars you know those are your toys you know in addition to all the other stuff you know i think you're right i think for a lot of people toys you know i i actually know a lot of you know like i said i i know some of these other guys that own these other toy companies some of them larger their toys are like tesla exactly that's it that's exactly it and <laughs> that, I, that really is their toy 100 percent. um you know i, I did want to ask and this is more more so just a, a little open-ended now that you guys have secured the bandai you know the bandai partnership where do you guys see yourselves you know 12 months from now like where would you like the company to be 12 months from now um uh, I, I think we see we see ourselves where we mapped out our goal um I think a, a growing presence at retail. Uh, we're doubling. We're doubling our releases this year. You know, which is a lot. You know, because we've been doing like ten per year. So this is in in different stages. You know, right? Like you know, Comic Con and things like that. So we we've been about ten per year. This this year it's we're doubling it. 
Uh, we're increasing our license slate, and we're really looking to increase our shelf presence, open the tent up to um, more collectors, make it more accessible. You know, but we still have all those crazy Easter eggs, Club 28s, all these crazy things that, you know, are, are great little Willy Wonka tickets for, for the collectors. Um, that still is, is totally intact. But, yeah, we're really just looking to open the tent up and include more people in the conversation. And and a message out, you know, I, I, I do write our blog and it's embarrassing because I just have not written much because we've been so head down and building these programs and the things. So hopefully this year I get to open up and be more of that sort of consistent weekly voice. That would be ideal. No, I think I think that's, you know, uh, it, the engagement that you guys have, even though obviously you're you're growing with the company, it's still it's still very good compared to so many other companies that are out there. You know, where it's like they put a post on Instagram and that's it. There's no there's not as much engagement. Like, I, I, I appreciate the work that you guys try to put in, you know, especially with oh, with, thanks, re- with regards to trying to keep your your fan base, you know, engaged. It's huge. Well, man. To, well without them, there's no us, you know, so it's like, you know, we, we've never set up a company to have like a velvet rope. It's just, you know, we're 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 all one gang. We're one in the same, you know, if if you know our, our customers are on the mi- on the same mission we are of like hey this is cool let's let's do more <laughs> you know so so we you know we're we're trying to you know share the stage with them you know we we might be playing in the band but you know we don't have a barricade with a bunch of bouncers in front you know you're welcome to sit on stage with us nice i think i think yeah. that's a that that's a that's a great segue into into what we like to call the the reach one teach one moment um you know for somebody that's that's starting out just like you did you know what would you what would you tell them you know if, if they were in your shoes now in 2019 you know you just listen to your heart listen to your gut you know and, and follow follow what you want to do it's, you know, I don't think there's any bit of advice or a mechanic or a structure that can help some be more successful or less successful. I think, you know, A, having a tremendous will, having a very hard work ethic and learning from your mistakes and, and being humble. And that that will lead you to the right place and and following your vision, whatever it is. You know, if you want to be the best fisherman in the world, whatever, you know, follow it. That's a that's a that that is a perfect way to do it. Well, Jonathan, yeah. I, I I truly appreciate you taking time out to share the toys and tech of your trade. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at a toy fair next month. Right on, man. I'll see you there. Uh, I'll be somewhere around the six foot night king. You got it. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. I thanks. appreciate it. All right, that wraps our interview with Jonathan Cathay from the Loyal Subjects. To find out more about the Loyal Subjects and some of the stuff that Jonathan and I talked about. In this episode, make sure to check the links in the show notes. As always, for transparency, some of those links may be affiliate links where your purchases allow us to receive a small commission, which we apply to giving you uh, better listening experiences, better video, better audio, better everything uh, for RageWorks and all of its shows. So definitely try and make your purchases through the affiliate links if possible. We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, or Overcast or any of the other uh, major podcast uh, partners or websites, uh, make sure to leave us a review. We would really, really appreciate it. Last but not least, if you are interested in being a guest on a future episode 
of toys and tech of the trade, shoot me an email, rich at rageworks.net, or use the contact form on the site. If you just want to keep up with Rageworks and everything we do, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, our biggest engagement usually is on Facebook via our Facebook group. You could just look up Rageworks or via Instagram. We we do use Twitter, but it's usually me running the account, and I usually just share our posts there with some engagement here and there. Definitely trying to up the ante in that department, but you guys know how it is. All right. Thank you guys for checking out the latest episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Peace. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Some call it insight. Others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective. A perspective you'll benefit from. From a custodian you can rely on. 
One who can help navigate the big picture and whose products give you a competitive edge. One who considers everything. What will help you succeed today and tomorrow? Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash RIA. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.